I remember uh, Dan a few weeks ago telling us a story of how he inadvertently stepped to some cat poo and then walked it all the way through a recording studio. And he even got the title Cat Poo Boy for the day. <clears throat> now, I've done some pretty stupid things in my life. Uh, I, I was once walking with friends um, around the countryside, and we came to a field of ostriches. You know, those great big things, the heads usually in the ground. And I said, can ostriches fly? Well, my friends fell about, you know. And I thought, I know ostriches can't fly. Why, why did I bother to say it? We do it. And then once I was in Menorca, and we'd got a lovely uh, apartment overlooking the sea. And uh, I went to bed, I don't know, 11 o'clock or whatever. But at midnight, I got up out of bed. I don't know if I can say this, but I had no clothes on. I was <laughs> naked. <coughs> I went to my balcony. I leapt over to the other balcony, which was adjoining, where two people were sat, <laughs> much to their, shall we say, surprise, <laughs> and my embarrassment, where I realised what I'd done, and then I had to leap back and crawl into bed and pretend it hadn't happened. <laughs> now, what, what I want to say about that is that, actually... I did it for a very good reason. And it was a, it was a proper reason. I'm not going to tell you what it was. So <laughs> if the sermon gets boring or when you get bored, you can start to work out why a perfectly sane, sober man would actually do that. But, uh, you know, I did it and it happened. <coughs> Now, I just want you to suppose for a moment that your one act, say, of stupidity was something that you would be remembered for for the rest of your life. You know, in my example, when people were talking about it, they'd say, ah, yes, you mean naked Leaper Lloyd or something like that, you know. <laughs> but yet, that is precisely what happened to one of Jesus' disciples. And here's a man that I so often identify with. He merely did not want to take the word of his mates about Jesus. And I'm talking, of course, about Thomas, who is known throughout history as Doubting Thomas. So if you turn with me to John, chapter uh, 20, and verse 19. We'll just read his story. <clears throat> On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad 
when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. <coughs> you see, after his resurrection, Jesus first appealed, appeared to, his, uh, to Mary and he told Mary to tell the other disciples uh, what had happened, that she'd seen him. Now, we don't know exactly what the disciples was about when Mary told them. I I guess there was a bit of scepticism with them. But anyway, the disciples did not have long to wait because later that day, Jesus came in the flesh to those scared disciples and he said, peace be with you. And they can see themselves, the marks of the wounds, and they believe. They become changed, and they receive the Holy Spirit. But the whole problem with that was that one disciple was missing, Thomas. And I just wonder, sometimes in our Christian life, we think, yeah, that would be me. I'd be the one, I'd be there for 50 weeks of the year, i go away and suddenly, you know, great things happen in the church and I miss it. And everybody says, you should have been here. I say, well, I normally am here. But, you know, often we think that, don't we? We don't know where Thomas was, except he wasn't with the others. And can you imagine the scene when Thomas arrived back where the other disciples were? <clears throat> The disciples will be shouting, Thomas, you won't believe it, but we've seen the Lord. And of course, Thomas doesn't believe it. Unless I see for myself, I will not believe. How Thomas must have felt at that moment. You know, were the disciples playing a joke on him? Was it a trick? No. It was far too serious 
I mean, that whole weekend had been awful. You know, they'd seen the Lord die. No, this was no trick. No joke. But if true, why hadn't Jesus just hung around a bit until Thomas was there? So he could see him. Thomas knew the ten other disciples were in on something, but he wasn't. And again, sometimes that can reflect our situation. Everybody else is in at the centre of things, and we can feel that we're just on the fringes, on the edges. And then one week later, of course, Jesus appears, and this time Thomas is present. And Jesus tells him, put your finger here. Look at the marks. Put your hand in my side. And of course Thomas does. And Thomas believes. Jesus says these words. He says, do you believe because you've seen me? And he then says, blessed are those who do not see yet believe. And this morning, I I just want to explore a little bit this whole question of doubt. I said earlier, I I always feel bad for Thomas because I, I so identify with him in many, many ways. And I honestly believe the other disciples, any of the other disciples would probably have had the same struggles that Thomas had. And then as I think about the Bible and great biblical characters in the Bible, so many of them have had wonderful signs from God and yet have failed to believe. Uh, Just just think for a moment about somebody like uh, Moses. He has that wonderful burning bush experience and it says I think it says the Lord's in the middle or certainly an angel of the Lord is in the middle but the bush is not being consumed and Moses is told what the plan is what the Lord is asking him to do and what's he say ah do you mind sending somebody else Pharaoh won't listen to me Pharaoh won't listen to me I'm not a good speaker, I can't do it. And Moses receives all these signs as well. And yet, uh, we read in Exodus 4.13, and I love this prayer, because it's one I issued to God when I went to Ethiopia that first time. He said, oh my Lord, please send somebody else. You know, and that's our prayer so often, oh, I can't do this, please send somebody else. Even though, Moses has got this great revelation of God. And what about Gideon? I I love Gideon. You know, this timid fellow, an angel of the Lord comes and says, mighty warrior. Who are you talking to? And again, he's given a command. And he actually tests God. He says, just to prove that you are who you say you are, I'm going to put this fleece down overnight, and if all the dew around is sodden, 
the fleece is dry, then I'll believe. God graciously does it. But that's not enough for Gideon. He says, ah, no, that's probably easy. We'll do it the other way around. You know, I want everywhere around to be totally dry. Is that the way I said it? Or the other way. And, and the fleece sodden. Should we call him Fleecy Gideon? You know, reluctant Moses. You see, I believe that we all have our moments of doubt. But you see, the thing with doubt, so often we're afraid to mention it because of what others will think. Gosh, if I express any doubt, I might be drummed out of the church. But if we're honest, there are times when God appears distant. You know, that breakthrough that you've prayed and prayed for hasn't happened. You know, one of the saddest times in my life was watching friends lose their five-year-old son despite hours and hours and hours of prayer, despite words said over him. And yeah, doubts appear. And in fact, it totally destroyed their belief in God. I sometimes struggle, I used to struggle with the words, simple words, God loves you. We all know that. I have no problem at all with saying that God loves you. But could God really love me? That's the question. Because I know myself, I know my sin. And I used to say, well, God, can God really love this sinner? I know he know it loves you, that's not a problem. You see, I believe we all can have doubts at certain times. And Thomas's doubt had a purpose. Thomas wanted to know the truth. And his doubt gives evidence not to a lack of faith, I believe, but to, have, to, uh, to a desire to have faith founded in fact and not fantasy. Although we call Thomas a doubter, he was earlier, again in John's Gospel, seen to be the one who was pulling into action the teachings of Jesus. John eleven sixteen. this was the time Jesus wanted to go to Bethany. Lazarus had died and Jesus was going there to actually raise him from the dead. But Bethany was the place where earlier, not long earlier, not long ago, the Jews had tried to stone Jesus. And the other disciples were saying, hang on a minute, this is probably not a good time or a good idea to be going back to Bethany. But what does Thomas say? Let us also go with Jesus that we may die with him. And Thomas's thoughts that day do not fall in line with the personality of a doubter, but rather one who has honest questions. Thomas was determined to be faithful, even in the face of death. And then the second time Thomas is mentioned in the Gospels, John 14, it's Thomas is uh, in John, not the others. 
But uh, in John's Gospel, he says, Jesus says, my father's house has many rooms. And then in verse 4, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. But Thomas says, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus responded with those wonderful words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, that was an honest question from Thomas. If Jesus was going away, Thomas wanted to make sure that he knew the way so he could follow. And we see Thomas's reaction to the risen Christ also so very profound. He utters those glorious words, my Lord and my God. And powerful truth comes out of Thomas here. He knew that when he saw the risen Lord, he truly was encountering God. And if you like, you could say the most outrageous doubter of the resurrection utters the greatest confession of the Lord who rose from the dead. What faith is greater? The one that never doubts or the one that doubts, investigates and believes? so where then is our faith what should we learn from Thomas Thomas was a man of integrity and honesty who felt able to voice his questions and his doubts I want to say to us today that we should not be afraid to ask questions And be honest of where we are in God. You know, God can handle it. God can handle our issues. And I believe God loves the honest questioner and the seeker. We grow through our questions. And the opposite of faith is actually, I believe, not doubt, but apathy. It's when you couldn't care less about anything. And I believe also that faith is not necessarily in the great miracles of God where he demonstrates his great power, say, in parting the waves or whatever. But our faith is seen in our small day-to-day activities as we go about our daily lives. Faith is the love and light of believers you and I, as we show care to those around us. Faith is Christian love in action, in the food banks, in the street pastors, in the prison visitors. Faith is in our heart days. Faith is in our missions work. Faith is letting his love transform us into the people that he wants us to be. I believe that is what makes our faith believable. You see, I want to see people coming to this church and seeing something different. 
something attractive. And just like Thomas, who knew the other disciples had something he hadn't, something that he wanted. And I want people to come here week after week to seek and to find God. I want people to be open and honest about their doubts, about their fears, so we can help them forward to Christ. As I said before, God can handle our doubts, he can handle our fears. The Dean of uh, Lincoln wrote, uh, there is always room for a healthy dose of doubt and a tussling of questions in the journey of living faith. I remember distinctly before I became a Christian, I tussled with questions of doubt. Indeed, I cried out to God, if you exist, tell me what I need to do. And I remember the morning I put a time limit on it. I said, God, you've got till 10 o'clock. And 10 o'clock came and went. I said, all right, God, I'll give you till 11 o'clock. And 11 o'clock came and went. And I knew, I knew at 12 o'clock, I had to leave where I was. And if God hadn't spoken, that was it. One minute to 12. God spoke. You see, he told me what to do. For sure, I didn't want to do it. But there and then, I knew God existed. And then there was a straightforward choice. You follow God, or do you follow man? You see, our faith is all around us. Our faith is in the persecuted church, for example. Our faith is in the way we live our lives. A woman in her 30s had an overwhelming spiritual experience. She knew God was calling her to do something that was new, that was scary, that was going to be hard. She could not deny the call. And for the next 50 years, she did amazing things. But inside, she doubted. She wrestled with faith. She had what I believe Christian writers call the dark night of the soul. At times, she even questioned the existence of God. Her lack of faith bothered her. You see, Mother Teresa was like so many of us, like Thomas, where our faith gets shaken. But doubts can propel us into uh, faith. It can be what shapes us and pushes us out of our comfortable world into a new and better world. Doubt can be our ticket to a new life. A sign not of the absence of God, but of God working within us to do something new.
We're coming into autumn, September today. It's the start of a new church year. And for Light Church, I believe it's going to be a really exciting time. Live also might well be a scary time. And at times, we may doubt about the way forward. We've got a new pastor, and I praise God for that. Maybe we'll have a new building. And there is certainly work that God has for us to do. And as a people of God, we need to move forward together in faith. Now, how can we do this? How can we be, if you like, vulnerable for God? Just a couple of pointers. Individually, I believe we should build our Ebenezers. What's an Ebenezer? Well, it's the stones of remembrance. Do you remember when uh, the Jews crossed over the, the waters of the Red Sea and the uh, Jordan? God told them to place stones, the 12 tribes to place stones down. What was the purpose? The purpose was to remind future generations when the kiddies come along and say, what are those stones for? That is the time, that's the remembrance that God helped us across here. And I believe in our lives, each one of us as Christians will have remembrances, stones of remembrance. The day you got saved, hey, whatever happens in my life, no one can take away that day. Stone, it's in there. The day I was baptised, stone, pile it up, in there. Two days after I was saved, no hanging around, do it. Uh, <laughs> You know, maybe a healing. Put it in there. Build on all the highlights, if you like, all the times when God has spoken to you so that when the dark times come and the devil says, did God really say, take him to your stones. Show him what God has done in your life. You say, look at that, look at, where's he gone? Because the devil cannot stand what God has done in our lives. So write down, think about your Ebenezers, your stones of remembrance. It's Joshua 4, 7, if you want biblical reference for that. So build your Ebenezers. Study God's promises. Do you know, um, in fact, I was going to ask Lucy to print some out, 366, because it'll leap year next year, I think. One promise for each day. In the end, I changed my mind because I thought it was a heck of a lot of work there, but (laughs) (coughs) not for me. (laughs) But, you know, there are some 3,000, I'm told, 573 promises of God in the Bible. Take one a day. Read them. I just wrote out, at random, I I wrote five or six out. Because if these don't build you up, nothing will. The Lord my God will be with me wherever I go. Joshua 1.9. Wherever I go, whatever situation you're in, the Lord your God's with you. He cares for me. 
1 Peter 5, 7. When you're getting fed up with all the work you have to do in church, my labour for the Lord is not in vain. 1 Corinthians 15. When you're struggling with things, God will supply all your need. He will deliver you no matter what. I love this. Even if chaos abounds, and it often does, you will experience perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3. And what about this to finish? God has promised his people eternal life. God has promised you eternal life. Hey, study the promises of God. Read God's word. And ask God. Bible study is so important. It's so important. Read God's word and ask God for help to understand the things that are difficult to understand. I struggle with the Bible so often. I say, well, how does that fit in with this? God will handle it. I don't know all the answers. Well, I certainly don't know all the answers. But, you know, let's talk about it together. Let's be open about it. And fourthly, continue to be in church. Because it's here that you grow in, in the praise of God, in the worship of God, in the fellowship, and in the word. The band uh, would like to come up. Uh, I'm just going to read what uh, Ravi Zacharias said. There are times when we're filled with fear and doubt, even unbelief. The more we experience the harsh realities of life, we gradually and unconsciously lose our youthful abandonment to and trust in God. We lose our nerve and courage and doubt the reality and the activity, the greatness and the goodness of God. How do we cope in the world? How do we cope with ourselves? And he says this, recognize Jesus for who he is. Open the Bible, which we've talked about, and open our minds to all that God has for us. Let's just pray together as I close. God, I believe. Forgive my unbelief. And Lord, I pray that you will help us through our fears and our doubts. Lord, I pray that you will help us study your word. Help us to give minds open to you, to your greatness and your lordship. Lord, help us to trust you more and to devour your word, to open our minds and our eyes to what you're saying, to make your word active in our lives. Lord, I pray this morning that you would draw close to your people, that you would give us your peace in our hearts, Jesus. We bless you, Lord, and we thank you for who you are and for all that you have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray.